Hello there, and welcome to the Unfuck Your Biz with Brayden podcast, a show to encourage and empower creative CEOs just like yourself through actionable legal, tax, and financial topics. I'm Brayden Drake, an author, lawyer, tax pro, and educator, but you can just call me Brayden, your gay best friend, here to help you unfuck that biz. If you're ready to dive in, grab a notebook, maybe some coffee, and buckle in to learn how you can implement solid strategies to build a profitable business. Well, hello, friends, and welcome back to the podcast. I am very excited today because I have now recorded, it seems like months of solo podcast episodes, but I know in reality, it's probably just been like eight episodes and doing interviews with fellow business owners is my favorite thing about this podcast. So I'm very excited, Desiree, to have you here. Desiree Kelly, owner of the Makery Cake Co. Desiree, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? I am good. Thank you. Now, our our listeners don't know this, but you and I just met. It, see, it, it kind of feels like Wedding MBA was like months ago, doesn't it? Or is that just me? Right, right. Yeah. And it goes to show you how to be really careful about who you get in an Uber with because you may end up on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. So Desiree met, uh, Desiree and I met at um, Renee Dallo and Amber Anderson's mixer that they were doing um, on Monday night. And Emily, my marketing manager, um, I told Emily, I was like, I'm going back to the hotel because I'm tired. And I asked her if she wanted to go and she said no, but she's like, but I talked to this woman named Desiree who was ready to leave. So like talk to her and we shared an, uh, shared an Uber back to the hotel, which was great. Yeah. Yeah. Great conversation. And I think we freaked out the Uber driver a little bit. (laughs) Well, the Uber driver was very curious about that. Actually that Uber driver said he had a DJ business and we told him he should go to wedding MBA next year. Yeah. So we may see him. Yeah, maybe. Know. Never know. Maybe. And he, I did tell him about the podcast, so he could be listening to this episode right now, in which case, hello, oh, sir. he could. Oh, what was his name? I don't remember. I don't remember either, but he should know. DM us and let us know. Um, okay. Okay, Desiree, well, tell us uh, like brief overview of your background, specifically, like how did you come about like establishing a, uh, a bakery? Yeah, it is all my little sister's fault. And that being said, um, I actually, I have a molecular biology degree and I was working in a laboratory trying to cure melanoma skin cancer when my little sister calls and she says, Hey, guess what? I'm getting married. And I was like, that's fantastic. We all really love the guy and everything. And you know, it's, it's the bride's family's thing to do the wedding. And I had just been given some decorating tips for cake. And I just made one for a barbecue. And I was like, Hey, let me do your wedding cake. And she said, okay, great. Yeah, no problem. So we chatted for a few more minutes and I hung up and went, Oh, what did I just do? Oh my gosh. I better go learn how to like make a wedding cake. Cause you hear the horror stories of it falling over or uh-huh. it being, you know, tasteless or flavorless or ugly or whatever. And I did not want that to happen to my sister. So I took some classes and, you know, during that time I was getting my MBA and uh, the teacher was like, you know what? You really like this. You should start teaching cake decorating. And I was like, well, working full time, getting my MBA. I don't have enough to do. So, and, you know, I've just found that's very typical of entrepreneurs. So, you know, long story short, I taught the classes, loved it, got my MBA and decided I was going to open my own bakery. And here we are, prestigious bakery here in Denver. We've been open since 2006. Oh, nice. Okay. Awesome. So that's what, 16, 16 years? 16 years. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So for sister's wedding cake, did you do like a full like tiered wedding cake, the whole shebang? 
you know, that's funny because she never actually ended up marrying him. So, <laughs> okay. But you got, you got a lot of practice in anyway. I did. I yeah. did. So. Yeah. yeah. I know it's funny. This, when you, as you were telling that story, it reminded me, it's just, I don't know if I definitely, I'm not a professional baker by any means, but I feel like uh -huh. my gateway into baking at all was I went to, I don't even know what event it was, some kind of family function. And my uh -huh. aunt had made a cake and I was like, oh my God, this is the best cake I've ever eaten in my life. It was a chocolate sheet cake with buttercream frosting. Um, really? Yeah. But up until this point, I had only eaten like store, like grocery store cakes and that like icing that like doesn't have any flavor and tastes like plastic. That's how I like to describe it. Right. It's thick and way too sweet. Makes you uh -huh. sweat. So mm -hmm. I asked that aunt to make me a, a cake for uh, my high school graduation. And I was like, I got to learn how to do this. And turns out buttercream is very, very, very easy to make. Um, yes. <laughs> and I, I haven't really gotten into the decorating. So I always say, I'm just gonna, um, I, I just want to make cookies, get really, really good at every single kind of cookie and sheet cakes galore and just stay there stay in that well, how was your carrot cake you made a carrot cake for your husband well Didn't my carrot cake is my claim to fame yeah that's what mm -hmm. i'm known for because i make it with cream cheese frosting and homemade caramel drizzle right so it's delicious yeah makes me hungry yeah but i was asking you in the uber i told you i like, can't get clean slices out of it because it's too crumbly so mm -hmm. i make them in muffin tins mm -hmm. which works so basically I, I couldn't make it. I tried to make a three layer carrot cake for his birthday and it mm -hmm. just kind of crumbled onto everyone's plates, but it was delicious and mm -hmm. compliments. Yeah. So. Try adding a butterscotch pudding mix next time, like dry, just throw it right in. Okay. Yeah. All right. Or, so like bind know, it you together. You start with half if you're, if you're leery of it, but yeah. it helps like bind it together a little bit and gives it a little bit of, uh, you know, better texture. Okay. I mean, that can't taste bad. So might as well no. try it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We'll start there. Um, anyway, okay. well, let's talk about, um, so you founded the bakery in 2006. Was this like right after your MBA program? Barely. Yeah. I, uh, graduated with my MBA in 2005 and I actually did a lot of my business plan as group projects getting my MBA. So I had a lot of help. So it was pretty thick when I graduated and I went to the SBA and I plunked it on his desk and I said, give me a quarter million dollars. <laughs> and he did, but he had one question is like, well, is your husband going to work with you or is he going to keep his job? And I'm like that was really sexist. Oh my gosh. And what he was actually asking because he had really poor communication skills was, is there going to be an income for your family while you start this business? Because it doesn't matter uh, what business you start, you are not going to have a great income for three to five years, especially in food. So, so he was not implying that you couldn't run the business without your husband. He was trying to make sure that your husband would have an income while you're starting the business. Correct. But it, it did ruffle my feathers and I was kind of mad about it, but yeah. I wanted his quarter million dollars. So yeah, sadly, anyway. even if, if the intent had been the other way around, that's a story would not have surprised me, but it would be mm -hmm. worse. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause that was actually going to be my question. Like how you got the funding for the bakery, because you know, a lot of folks, especially we were at wedding MBA, right? So the bakery and wedding venues, there might be other examples, but those are the only two off the top mm -hmm. of my head that I can think of where you need a large amount of capital to start the business. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, most right. of it, most of us, most the people listening are service-based. We don't really yeah. need that. Maybe a few thousand dollars right. for a website. We're good to go. Right. Um, 
So how did you come up with the the number that you would need that quarter million, 250K to start right. the business? Right. Yeah, definitely a bigger barrier to entry. That is for sure. So I actually did a lot of research. And so not only did I, I hit up like 20 different specialty bakeries here in Denver, just walk in and buy stuff. But I also um, asked a few of them, you know, what are, what are revenues like? Because actually here in Denver, we have a wonderful um, event industry. Everybody's very collaborative. And if you need help from your competitor, their number's on your cell phone. So it was nice. really actually a lot easier. But I did use, you know, like national databases. And it was so long ago, 20 years ago, when I did the research about um, what kind of revenues you can expect. And then also, you know, what size SBA loan, what's the payment going to be on that. And so I came up with a, um, a number of $17,000 per month for my operating expenses. So that was, you know, payroll, rent, lights, waste management, accountant, all of that stuff. So that was kind of what my projection was. And then I had to come up with a number for build out. So I actually did get quotes on the space and the landlord didn't make me sign anything until after I'd secured funding, because there's no sense in, you know, taking out a a seven year uh, lease if you can't actually get it funded. So he didn't make me do any of that until I got like my bids and all of that. So a lot of research. So I guess I graduated in May and then it was another year and one month. So May of 2005 opened in June of 2006. Did you, the, the, the space that you rented, was it already set up as like kind of a commercial kitchen space or did you have to build all that out? No, commercial kitchen space is really hard to find, honestly. And if you're not like right there when the business closes before you, you can't really get a bid in on it. So I found a space that had been empty for about three and a half years. And then uh, it was actually a dry cleaner. And I was a little leery of like what kind of chemicals they had had in there. And so the landlord EPA tested it for me to make sure that there wasn't anything crazy. And so once that was done, you know, they tore it all out and set it all up. And um, what was really hard for me though, is um, I had gotten a bid for $69,000 for the build out. And when it was all said and done, it was actually $123,000. Oh, that, I I mean, that left me like after I bought $60,000 worth of, you know, ovens and sinks and all of that stuff, it left me $13,000 in cash. I did not know how I was going to survive on just $13,000. Yeah. Was, yeah, because I was, was wondering, like a bakery, like compared to like a commercial kitchen and a restaurant, is it a similar amount of uh-huh. equipment or less equipment? Because at first I was like, you need ovens, obviously, but you still yeah. need stoves to do certain elements of baking. Yeah, we did put in a range and that required that I put in like a, a class two hood, which is not just like pulling air out, but it also has fire suppression built into it and mm-hmm. makeup air unit. So those are about a thousand dollars per foot. And that was, you know, 15 years ago or seven, whatever it was. And, um, it was, it was a lot of money. It was a lot. Um, but I, I've since removed the range and disabled the Ansel system because you actually have to have it like fire code tested every year and all of these things that I had no idea about when I was doing my research. Yeah. So, you know, a lot more expense than I had actually anticipated. Yeah. And you, you can only, you can only research so far <laughs> anyhow. Right. 
Um, yes. Okay. Did you, um, so I'm assuming you got all that stuff deducted as startup expenses mm-hmm. on your tax returns years and years ago. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I didn't have to pay taxes for years and years and years because I didn't, I didn't have a profit and uh-huh. they actually let you, because I'm an S corp, they let you, um, roll forward your losses. So they uh-huh. kind of accumulate until you have to start, you know, paying from your profit. Yeah. And I think just for folks listening, I should, I should look into that. I've never really had a deal with loss carry forwards before, but I think the laws and rules around that changed with the tax changes we got in, was it 2017? That long ago, the tax Trump tax cuts and jobs act or whatever it was called. So, um, just something for us to look into. If any of you decide to also invest a quarter million in, in a new business, we want to look into that. (laughs) Right. Um, (laughs) right, right. Okay, well, let's talk about margins because this is what I'm really curious uh-huh. about. Um, and we're going to get into the profit and loss in a moment. For folks that are listening that haven't listened to one of these uh, topics before, I have my guests who are willing. So thank you so much, Desiree, to actually send me their mm-hmm. profit and loss statement. Um, and we go through the numbers. So that's what we're about to do. Um, but I want to go back to like your business plan and what your thoughts were. You'd gone to some other bakeries, you bought some cakes. Like, just tell us roughly, like, how much does one expect to make like on a wedding cake versus, I don't know, other goods that you sell that I could just like walk in and like buy a cookie or whatever you're selling. Right. Right. Well, uh, the margins for just walk-in stuff is not very high. And so I actually did away with my bakery case and anything that's pretty much on hand Mm -hmm. about, I want to say seven years ago, because it was just like we were throwing stuff away and throwing it away. And the margins were only, you know, 10% because for some reason they expect to pay less for what's in the case than if you had made it special for them, the same exact design. So I've just decided that, you know what, I'm just going to go all custom. I'm not even going to turn on my oven until someone tells me they want it. And, you know, it worked out for me because people actually viewed it as being more special and, um, they, they wanted it more when they couldn't have it right now, if that makes sense. So yeah, I was able it, to yeah. uh, increase prices and everything too. Yeah. I mean, that's like a marketing, that's like a marketing tactic that a lot of like luxury brands and a lot of people use. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, right okay, cool. Right. That makes sense. So, uh, so you ready to it, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, on a, um, on an occasion cake, the margin is only around 30%, but on a wedding cake, it's more like 40. Okay. So an occasion cake would be, I'm guessing any kind of special event. Mm-hmm. Birthday, you know, anniversary, those types of things. And we do, we do classify them as different animals because we sell our wedding cakes as part of a, a package. And it's basically, we have one package. I know you're supposed to have three, but I racked <laughs> my brain as to try to figure out how to do the lower one and the upper one because everybody wanted kind of the same thing. And so we just started like base price. And then here's the things that everybody always wanted. So we bundled those together. So they want delivery, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. They, they want the upgraded flavors. Who wouldn't want cookie dough over vanilla? So, I mean, they, they wanted certain things and over and over. So we just bundled those together and that is a wedding cake. So, uh, but if you come in with your birthday cake, you gotta, you gotta pick it apart and all the cart, everything. So your, yeah. your premium and you cost more and all that stuff. So I don't think I've ever had a cookie dough flavored cake before. Do you put like cookie dough chunks in it in the batter? Well, next time we do mm-hmm. and extra chocolate chips to make Yum. it extra chunky. Yeah. It's awesome. 
Okay, I'm gonna have to come to Denver soon. That sounds really good. Yep. Um, yep. Next time, shoot me a DM. I will. I will do that for you. That sounds great. We also this is this whole conversation is making me want to go to a bakery. Um, we we're kind of lucky in that um, we have friends of friends. Like one of our good friends is next door neighbor owns a French bakery. He is French, like moved here, opened a French bakery, and it's right by where we like to run on the weekends. So we always get nice. like. We always get like fresh made almond croissants after our long runs, which is fun. Oh my gosh. Nice. Well, they say right after you work out is the best time to uh, have any kind of something like that. Get the sugar. Yeah. Okay. Right. All right. We ready to jump into your PNL? Yeah, I actually, I printed it out so I would have it and I've got everything except it. So you go ahead and start and I will find it and open it. Okay, perfect. Um, well, for everyone listening, for context, uh, we are recording this on November 29th. Um, the PL goes from January 1 through November 19th. So roughly, we're not quite 11 twelfths. 11 twelfths is a hard fraction to wrap your brain around, but we are not quite 11 twelfths through uh, the year. We're like 10 and a half twelfths. 10 and a half dwells through the year at the time of this PNL. So just keep that in mind. So these are not year and numbers. Um, but we are, I'm just going to lead with the top line revenues. Does that sound good? Sure. Okay. Total income 400. Well, I'm going to round, I'm going to round up 446,000. Um, how does this compare? Well, first of all, do you have any idea on what you're projecting year end revenue to be? Uh, I was hoping for um, 500,000 and I think I'm going to get it. Okay, so, cool. Does December enough. tend to be yeah, a big month enough. for you? Um, not as much. So okay. around 20,000 ish. So it, it can go up. We started doing gingerbread last year and that went over real well. Mm. And so that was more like 30,000, but we had to increase prices because we saw a little bit of a drop in profitability. And so we obviously were not bringing in enough money for the labor those cost. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So close to 500, maybe how does that compare mm -hmm. to prior years? Uh, so 2020 was kind of a crapshoot, but last year was very, um, very similar. Okay. And actually, I think I have it. So revenue wise, you would call this just kind of like your average year then. Yeah. Pretty typical. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Let's get into kind of the breakdown of your income categories. So mm -hmm. what is, so you have a line item home consumption, $202,000. What does home consumption mean? So in Colorado, uh, you do not tax a item that you pick up from a grocery store and take home and consume, but you do tax things that are catered, such as a wedding cake that is delivered. And so I had to break those apart. And the home consumption is a birthday cake that you would pick up from my store. Okay. Where if it was delivered, it's, it's kind of considered a catered item. Gotcha. Okay. So people are the, the picked up goods is amounting to about 40% of your total revenue. Mm -hmm. So easy enough. Um, parties, $1,200. What's, is that just like a one, one-off thing that you did? So when the makery opened, it was, um, very heavy into hosting birthday parties where we would make everybody a little cake and we would teach you how to do it. It was all very cute. 
um, we got to the point where we could not no longer support the forties in-house because we needed more floor space. And it was either, you know, pick up, move and build again or start doing the parties at people's houses. And so we used to do like, gosh, we had 72 kids a weekend coming through our place doing <laughs> parties. And that, that went down to like one party a weekend when we did them out of the house because people don't want the mess in their house. And then um, when COVID came, we just stopped pretty much all together and started doing videos and kits. And so the videos and kits are what you see there, the 1200. Nice. Okay, cool. So that is um, fun. What do you, so that's, a, I would say that's a small percentage of your revenue. Why do you still, yes. why do you still offer that? That's like a very blunt because question, but I'm assuming you have to do it. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> my so friends like me to do it sometimes. So I'll do it for networking, networking events and team builders for um, people in our industry that, you know, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. So I'll do a team builder for a caterer's sales team gotcha. and they'll pay me cost for it. So okay. basically, yeah, I was I curious. I was curious if it was basically like a potential marketing thing. You're basically getting your name mm -hmm. out to a lot more people. If it was more just, you know, like, uh, we don't, we'll do it when people ask kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. It has to be a certain person and yeah, somebody that would benefit us for us to host the party or okay. go do the party for them. So, yeah. Awesome. And then we have resale to vendors, roughly $24,000. I can kind of guess yep. what that is, but can you give us an example of when a vendor mm -hmm. would be purchasing from you to do the resale? Yeah. So we have a couple of different venues here in Denver that they will sell the wedding cake to the couple and then buy it from me basically at a lower rate so that they have a little profit. It's a wholesale account. And so we do that with a couple of different venues that are a little bit more on the higher end. Yeah. So, and are the, are the, venue, are the venues doing that so that they can then market like an all-inclusive, like kind of wedding package mm -hmm. for their clients? Yep. Yep. Okay. And they don't, and they still send the client to us to design it and everything. So that basically they sell it to the client lower than I would sell it to Joe Schmo walking in the door. Yeah. So it's good for the client. It's good for the venue. It's good for me because it gives me, um, you know, more reoccurring income. They basically just say, here's your client. Yeah. Love that. Like more guaranteed income, awesome. exclusive mm -hmm. referral relationships. Yep. I talked to, um, yep. I haven't talked to a lot of venues yet. I'm assuming now that we're doing uh, done for you tax services, we'll start to get more venue clients. Um, but I've had mm -hmm. a lot of wedding planners who like, not a lot, a handful of wedding planners who want to operate a similar business model where they are mm -hmm. charging one big price and then paying all the vendors. I typically don't recommend this a for liability purposes and B, because it sounds really great for your clients, but now you have, how much does an average wedding cake cost? I have no idea. Yeah. For a hundred people, like I said, we package like the delivery, the upgraded flavors. We do a honeymoon cake that goes with them to their hotel room and, um, you know, all of these bells and whistles that everybody really loves. So for a hundred person, it starts at about $2,300. Okay. So if you, like, if you're the wedding planner, like doing that. Now you have an extra $2,300 in income from your client, and then you have a tax deduction of $2,300 to Desiree. Not that complicated, but when you multiply that by how many vendors, by how many clients, you're doing a lot more bookkeeping than you need to be doing for that business. For a wedding venue, I yeah. think it makes a lot more sense. 
Um, right. The planners I know that do that successfully are usually like the ultra luxury ones that are doing, you know, million dollar weddings. Right. And then I'm like, you just need to make sure that you're charging for all that admin work you're doing on the back end. Cause it's like an, a huge convenience to your clients. Right. It is. I just, I don't even know how the wedding planners do it because they'll get the credit card number. And then it, it's so much legwork. I'm like, is the $150 you're going to make off of me worth that? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. So you so, do, you do get that. You have some planners who do that. A couple. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. the, okay. But like you said, the more high-end luxury ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then at that point they're doing it. Yeah. More as like, uh, yeah. it's clients who like, don't want to be bothered to sign contracts with 50 different vendors really are the ones who are willing right, to pay for right. that. But you know, there is software coming out, um, Maru specifically that, uh -huh. you know, you can, the, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but the planner can use it and then be able to manually like log in for their client and make sure everything is paid for them through that platform. Oh, nice. I'm almost positive oh, nice. that's it. So that would be a huge thing for them to. Uh, to yeah. And I know rock, paper, coin does that with contracts, like gives you signature authority. Mm -hmm. Um, I know Maru does more of the financing. Um, it's funny, my marketing manager, who's going to listen to this episode and write the show notes, um, knows a lot more about both of those platforms. So we'll have Emily draft mm -hmm. a little, a little summary in the show notes. Okay, so people, people can go check those out. Right. Right. Um, okay, cool. So we had, um, home consumption parties, resale to vendors. Those were the big categories. Um, mm -hmm. what is this sales, the sales line? So that's a, cause that's a negative <laughs> number. Are those refunds or something else? So yeah, you know, when I when I first set up my QuickBooks a long, long time ago, uh, refunds to customers, such as like if you rented a stand from me and I charge you a $300 deposit, if I refund it, it has to go in that category. Oh, yeah. So there's a couple like refunds to customers because there is, you know, nobody's perfect. Sometimes stuff happens. And so you have to give a refund. But most of it is stand rental refunds because we we started charging a pretty big amount for the deposit because we were losing so many stands and we were like, okay, you want this little bitty stand? The rental is $25, but the deposit's 300 and we get our stands back. So nice. Yeah. Yeah. On that one, I would probably, I'd probably just have a category called like deposit refunds and then another category mm -hmm. for refunds, but it doesn't really matter. Right. But if you wanted to right. separate them, yeah. um, Okay. Yeah. So then you have wedding cakes is a big one, 207,000. Mm -hmm. I think that's relatively right. self-explanatory, but I ha do have one question right. on that in a moment. Um, yep. services mm -hmm. 21,000. What's that? Mm -hmm. Is that just like, mostly. can I guess? Oh, deliveries. That was not going to be my guess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <Never mind. laughs> but it's also our wedding cake design sessions. So that's a service. And so we also lump that in there. So we nice. do charge for our design sessions because, um, you know, it takes us a lot of time, but also there were a lot of people no showing when we weren't charging for it. So we were just like, you know, we give you seven different flavors. We wait around for you for an hour. Yeah. So we started charging. Yeah. That's irritating. We don't like no shows. So the charging makes sense. Right. Um, okay. Mm -hmm. Wedding cakes, 200, almost 208,000, 47% of <laughs> overall revenue. Um, quick math, if you're doing about $2,300 like per package, roughly a, a hundred cakes you've done up until close to the end of November. Does that sound right? 
I would say a lot more because a lot of people are going down to cutting cakes. Uh-huh. And so we do a ton of little single tiers and a ton of little two tiers. And so I would say it's probably more around the 200 mark. Oh, okay. Before COVID, we were doing about four, but now everything is like so much lower. It's just ridiculous. So you're doing about four cakes per week then, like if you averaged it out. If you average it out, but most of our income is from May through September. And so like in 2016, we had 28 of them go out on one day. It was oh, Jesus. bananas. <laughs> yeah, bananas. And so this year, I think our, our highest week was nine went out on one day. Okay. So, so do you have a seasonal like delivery contractors for that? Cause, or do you just have, you know, like two drivers and you just are each doing like a lot of stops? <laughs> so we have star who is fantastic. She's like really well known in Denver because she delivers most of them. Then when star is booked, it goes to, um, you know, my baker and my filler and froster. And then we have a couple people who just deliver for us when we can't find anybody else. And then we like to use the people in house because if anything happens, we need to be able to fix it. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, you can't really use a courier service for that. So, yeah. And they don't know how to drive with a $4,000 wedding cake in their car. And all that Not calling stuff. Uber so, Eats to deliver yeah. the wedding cake. <laughs> we don't even do it with our birthday cakes because, you know, you have an $800 birthday cake in your car. You just. Mm. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I wouldn't want to don't want to know the horror stories that would be happening with that. <laughs> right. Um, right. Can you tell us just like a little bit of logistics? How does it work when you have like nine like nine wedding cakes go out on the same day. How many people does it take to like bake and decorate those cakes? Well, I had eight during our busy season this year. And so like the baker bakes, we, we like having a customer service person just dedicated to talking to the customers, um, frees up our, our decorators to do what they need to do. Um, in the slow season, you know, sometimes they roll off and get a full-time job somewhere else, which is what's happening this year, which is fine. My, my other staff just absorb those hours. Um, but yeah, about eight people and they're pretty much full-time during the summer. Nice. Do you have any, this is a really yeah. weird question. Do you have anyone that works mm -hmm. for you? That's a really terrible baker, but a really good artist. So they do all the decorating or does that not exist? <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't think of one. I know. So I have this lovely woman, Carrie, who's our newest employee. And she does, I hired her as a decorator, but she saw what we do. And she was like, uh, uh, no, nope, I'm going back here. I'm going to go bake these cakes. Now you guys uh. stay out there. But that's really the only instance I can, I can know. I mean, my general manager couldn't ice a cake when he started, but that was eight years ago. And now he can do everything. So nice. I always think yeah. about I like can't watch the baking shows on Food Network because it's a pet peeve of mine that they literally just like cover everything in fondant and like Rice Krispie treats mm -hmm. and call it edible. Um, right. And so my theory is, is like none of them can really bake. They're just like all master artists, but that's really a conspiracy uh, theory. I'm sure that they all started it or they all started as very good bakers and then got really into the I'm, elaborate I'm sculpture. Sure. <laughs> yeah, but you know, when, when they're making TV, they're making TV. They're not really making cake. So yeah, you know, but this I is why I like this is why I like Great British Bake Off because everything they make mm -hmm. like looks delicious. I think. 
That's awesome. I don't yeah. have time for TV, but I have seen that one once or twice. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Um, I might actually start a baking YouTube channel. And if I do, maybe I'll have you come be a, like a guest, a yeah. virtual guest judge or something. Um, yeah, totally. I saw, I started following this gentleman who started out as like a very amateur cook, like didn't know a whole lot about cooking. Um, and he was doing the like Julia and Julia thing, like basically working his way through the Julia mm. child cookbook. Uh, and made it a YouTube series. And I was like, this is so fun. And I was like, maybe I do the same thing with like a lot of the bake-off recipes. So this is an idea I'm sitting on because I be have all the baking stuff. I can do the basics, but I would imagine some of the recipes would come out quite bad, which is not great for my budget, wasting ingredients, but does make for like compelling media. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, it does actually yes. more drama and stuff that yeah. blows up or sinks the better. Yeah. Cause then I have bakers like you that are watching and they're like, well, nope, that's not how you're supposed to do that. Brayden. So it's fun. Okay. Uh, so uh, we got into total income, a cost of goods. This is the big one, right? Mm -hmm. Um, big one for right. your business, uh, $53,000, um, maybe actually mm -hmm. lower than I would have guessed, but that was also me like guessing yes. with literally no context and information. So I guess the other thing I would think so, about is the cost of goods, like for stuff that goes into a cake, like flour, sugar, mm -hmm. it's not like you're reselling filet mignon, but still it adds up. No, yeah, that was going to be my point is, you know, a 50 pound bag of sugar well, before the pandemic goes $26, but now it's 42 and you can make a oh. lot of cake with 40 with 50 pounds. Um, but it always has been fairly low. My high expense, which we'll get to is my talent, mm -hmm. my people, yeah. me. <laughs> oh. my, my biggest question on your cost of goods is, do you have yeah. a goal? Like, do you, do you track it and have a goal to keep it under a certain amount? Um, I do not because it is so low. Um, you know, it usually costs a good for a food establishment is somewhere around 20%. Mm -hmm. And mine's always been 18. And I think it's what, 11? Yeah, 11. Something this year? 11? Yeah. So um, we use expensive products. Uh, we, you know, we, we might buy a lot of really fun, like molds for fondant and chocolate. And, you know, it's really those, those fun tools that will set you apart from your competition. And so lots of stencils, lots of everything. And I do put that in my cost of goods sold because you have to have it to make the product mm -hmm. you know, boxes, all of that stuff. That's all a cost of goods. So how high would that percentage have to get before you're like, all right, we got to raise our prices. Oh, I haven't usually paid attention to the cost of goods for raising prices. It's usually labor. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Well, every time I give pay increases every six months, and then if for some reason we're running short on cash, that's also an indicator that we need to raise prices again. Okay. Awesome. Do you have a statement of cash flows that you look at for that? Or are you just going off of like bank balance? So here's the funny thing. So I had a um, business consultant named Kim who was amazing. And she beat her head on the wall trying to figure out how to forecast my cash flow. Because the only thing that you can determine of money coming in our door is the final payment of the wedding cake. Uh -huh. And that happens, you know, months ahead. And so you can pull that 
but it has no bearing on who's going to come in and order their birthday cake for next week. And so, you know, basically a little bit of like your rent is due, your electricity is due, you can ballpark that, you know those, but half of my income is not predictable. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Do you, can you see trends though, from like year to year when you're like selling the most of those kind of items? Oh yeah. Yeah. May is definitely our highest income and then, uh, followed closely by July. Even for birthday cakes or that just for weddings? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. I am completely convinced that humans have a birthing season. I am convinced because (laughs) the, um, summer we do so many more birthday cakes than in the winter. Well, I'm sure there's probably, I'm sure there's probably data out there on that. Um, like peak birthdays. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm also curious though, like this year, my sister's birthday fell on Thanksgiving this year happens like every four years Mm -hmm. or so. Yeah. My dad too. (laughs) Oh, nice. But I'm wondering how many people born like around October Thanksgiving Christmas have to do like joint parties. So they're like not doing a dedicated cake. I don't know. Maybe. Right. Another, another oh, I always make my dad his own. Yeah. Yeah. My little brother's birthday is right around Christmas and he always gets to open all of his birthday gifts three days early because his birthday's right there and why not? So it doesn't bug him at all because he gets it early. He doesn't demand separate presents. I think he does, (laughs) but he gets to open them all early. Nice. So, well, that's lovely. Um, yeah, my birthday is in August, which I always felt like was a good time. So it's like, a little mm-hmm. after back to school season, like my back to school mm-hmm. clothes and then my birthday clothes. It's a good time. Um, nice. <laughs> okay. So you mentioned um, your talent. That's your biggest expense. So let's mm-hmm. talk about yeah. that. So let me find it. Um, oh. We have total yeah. payroll. There it is. Total payroll expenses. First question for you. Um, does the wage line on here also include your personal salary? It does. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you mind sharing what that number is? Not required, but yes. if you want to. Yeah, it's 55000 and I am salaried, um, uh-huh. so I don't get overtime or anything, um, which is a pretty good chunk. And for years and years, my general manager made way more than I did. So <laughs> I didn't even pay myself for the first seven years. Yeah. And then I got my business consultant that I mentioned earlier. And the first thing she made me do was a take the cot out of the back room because you are not going to stay here anymore, which was sad that I was staying the night because I had to work so much. And then B was I had to start paying myself because as an S corp, which you've mentioned before, you have to have a reasonable salary uh-huh. or else you're not. Corp. And so I started paying myself. It was dismal. It was like 200 bucks every two weeks. It was, it was, it was not good for my mental state and mindset is huge when you're trying to run a business. So finally, I think this year I, I'm going to, I'm going to beat him in salary. (laughs) That's the goal. (laughs) Right. Nice. So, okay. So 55 to you, um, total Uh wages is 227. So then you have about 175 Uh going to rest of your staff. Uh Um, do you work with any contractors or is everyone an employee? Everyone is an employee because I provide the tools that they use. I tell them when to be there and I tell them Mm -hmm. what to do. So that's an employee. There's, uh, you know, I tried to do contracting delivery, um, but it just seemed like it was mm, more of a hassle than anything else. So, yeah, yeah. I really, I want to do a cycle of episodes, excuse me, 
on misclassification of contractors. Um, and I want mm-hmm. to do that in the new year, but also then it's like, well, then it's tax season. I might have to talk about taxes, but I might try to squeeze it in like end of January, early February. So mm-hmm. everyone stay yeah. tuned. A lot of you that are listening are probably using contractors that legally should be employees. So we're, we're going to be talking about yeah. that. Well, I have a uh, recommendation. There's a, a DJ company here in town who had an unemployment claim filed on him as a contractor had to go to court and lost it was a very painful painful experience for him and uh Uh and that's probably why i just decided to go ahead and just make them all employees because i didn't want to deal with that okay i'll have to we'll we'll see that's a big ask but i'll i'll get that Mm -hmm. person's contact info from you and um i really i would really like to get someone on the podcast to talk about that because no one wants to understandably Um, so I'm always preaching to people, you can't do this. You can't do this. Um, Mm -hmm. the penalties are pretty severe, but then I never have any examples. So it feels like I'm shouting fire in a crowded theater. Is that the expression when that's not the case? That metaphor might be getting lost, but okay. Um, all right. So wages is the big one. We have, um, retirement funds paid. That's nice. Do you offer Mm -hmm. retirement to just full-time people or everyone? What does that look like? Everyone that's worked for me for a year or more. And that's more just because of a technology issue. Uh, I can't, I can't say, oh, you part-time people, I'm not going to pay your retirement. But what's nice is that it builds um, per hour. So my part-time people don't get as much retirement Mm -hmm. as my full-time people. So it all shakes out and it's, it's really the least I can do for them. They work so hard. And if you think about your employees, they are the people who take care of you and your business and your baby and your house payments. I mean, they're doing so much for you. It's a, it's a small ask. Yeah. Yeah. I hired my first four employees like last month, two months ago. Oh, Um, congratulations. That's scary. Yeah. Scary. Um, but similar, and this is something we can talk about for your business, because I think it's interesting, is most of the wages are tied to revenue. So hours are going to increase when we get more clients. So mm-hmm. I try to tell myself, great, and it's not that scary. If we hit a lull in revenue, the employees are probably going to be working a lot fewer hours, <laughs> a lot fewer hours. Right, right. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So but what's that? Yeah, what's that look like for you? Yeah, in our off season, I have them do things like paint, like the walls need to be painted. And, you know, we <laughs> we rent the floor buffer, we buff the heck out of the floor and re-wax it. So during our, our busy season, I squirrel away money. And I know it's going to take me somewhere between twenty dollars to $30,000 to make it through the end of the year. Now, that doesn't say that, you know, their hours don't fall because production is very low. But I do try to keep a reasonable amount of work for them as much as I possibly can with the limited revenue that's coming in. But I mean, if there's no com- money coming in the door, I can't. I, I can't pay them because I don't have the money yeah. and I can't, I, I can't take it from my retirement to pay their electricity bill. So it's really a fine balance. So I, I do squirrel away a ton of money to try to make it through our off season. So, yeah, I always think it's, I always think it's interesting because whenever I talk to people about hiring employees in particular, they get really mm-hmm. freaked out by this because they're like, well, I can't, you know, I might not be able to pay them in their slow season. And I'm like, well, if they're not, if you don't need them to work, then you don't need to, you don't need to pay them. Like if they're hourly employees. Right. right? 
And I explain, I explain like I worked retail all through high school and through a lot of college. Um, You -hmm. work a ton during Black Friday and Christmas and mid January, Mm -hmm. my hours, I would have some weeks with zero hours a week. I was Mm -hmm. in high school, Mm -hmm. so not a huge deal, right? Right. I could just not drive places for, take the school bus if I didn't have gas money. Um, obviously when we're grown up, you have to have those kind of conversations with the people that you're hiring to let them know when the slow seasons are Mm -hmm. and what that might look like, but it is possible like that. You can do that. I think some people think that if they hire someone for 10 to 20 hours a week, that they're legally required to provide them with 10 to 20 hours a week. That's not the case. That, that does, people do think that. Yes. However, I make it very clear at the interview what they're coming into and the seasonality of their job. And I also say, you know, I can tell you within a six week, two month heads up, hey, hours are gonna fall at October 15th because we keep track of what we call our workload. So how much um, how much the cakes cost every week. And so we know when to say, hey, whoa, no more business because nobody wants to work till 2 a.m. It's not a fun thing. Mm -hmm. And so we will actually sell out weeks and months in advance sometimes. Like for Memorial Day weekend, we are sold out two months in advance. Cannot take anymore. And so because we keep track of the volume we're doing in each week, I can say, okay, we have eight cakes on October 15th and the next week we have two. So that is the week that it's going to be imperative that you get that second job. And luckily that is right about the time when like Target and all of those holiday places are hiring just for the holidays. And so people will go and get those part-time jobs because at the interview, I am, you know, full disclosure, front loading everything. This is what's going to happen. And so sometimes the employees will work together and be like, Hey, this job is hiring. This job is hiring. But most of the time what happens, and I lose a lot of really great people, they'll go looking for a part-time job because they love it at my place, but then they get um, offered full-time. So then they have to leave completely. But then what happens is we just spread the hours out amongst the remaining employees. And then everybody usually makes it through with just, you know, a a few, a couple hours less. When you get, when you get sold out for Memorial day, is you're selling out Mm -hmm. a capacity of how much labor you have on hand or like how much, how many cakes you can physically bake with the equipment that you have? Like you can only put so many cakes in the oven at one time. Yeah, that's not the, that's not the case. It's the people. So basically we decide how we're staffed, how fast everyone is, what their personal like kind of limit is. Um, How many new people do we have? Because we hire in March for our busy season, because even though March is not busy yet and neither is April, as soon as May comes, it's like taking a drink from a fire hose. And if they don't have their feet wet, they're not going to make it through. And I always tell them as well, you know, as soon as you make it through Memorial Day weekend, it's smooth. The rest, it's like you, you've got your, your feet wet, everything's starting to jive. And, you know, as soon as that weekend is over, we're all going to lay on the floor for a day and then it's going to be smooth after that. So, yeah. Yeah. Because I was I, uh, part of my, the question behind the question for me there was, well, why don't, if the, if the issue is limited, like labor capacity, why do you not hire holiday help like the retail stores do? Is it because it's like not worth the time to train them when they're only going to be there for a month or something else? Correct. And my employees want all those hours, you know, they would much rather work, you know, five hours of overtime than, you know, hire somebody just for a couple months. 
So it just, and it, I think the number was you shouldn't hire more employees until you're paying like 20% more than you're used to. So and overtime? I mean, it's just, it's just yes. Yes. Oh, okay. So, and, and I was like 20% of overtime would make me throw up on the floor. That would be a lot of money. <laughs> so, but since I, I kind of know how it goes since we've been open uh, 16 years that I just know that, you know, my people are really amazing and they make it happen. So. Do your people get time and a half for overtime or what's the rate for that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I do pay them time and a half if they have to work on a holiday, like Memorial day or whatever, because you know, there's no, there's no national law that says that you have to pay time and a half even on mm-hmm. Christmas. It's just something that you should do as kind of like a, an obligation to your people. I just, I feel like the better you treat your people, the better they're going to take care of you. And it's just, I don't know, it's just a nice thing to do. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I worked all the holidays in high school so I could get my $12, my $12 an hour at time and a half <laughs> working at Calvin Klein. Right. <laughs> Um, but the real reason we did it, I worked every Easter, um, and it was because we got time and a half and no one was shopping, (laughs) no one was shopping on Easter. (laughs) So we just like stand around basically. Yeah. Different kind of vibe. Cause there's no, no black Friday sale, no after Christmas sale. Yeah. Easter is not, especially when you're in like conservative Christian rural Indiana, people are Mm -hmm. going to church. And then they're going to go do like their, you know, wake up, do their eggs, go to church, do all their, their Christian stuff. And they're not going to buy all black clothes and underwear at Calvin Klein. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. So we talked about, we talked about your biggest expenses, right? Cost of goods, Mm -hmm. um, which plays into your gross profit. And we talked about your wages, um, other categories. Let let me just bring up some things that popped out to me. Um, workers comp. $5,000. I just got my workers comp set up last week Mm -hmm. and it's going to be a lot less than $5,000. So I'm curious, is yours more because you have a much larger team or do you maybe pay more for workers comp because of the nature of your business? People are working around hot ovens and stuff. Does that play into it? Yes. And yes. So bakeries are actually classified as a um, dangerous environment because of the ovens. And, you know, people can get burnt or cut with the knives or whatever. So food service is always pretty high. Um, And I've only had two claims. One of them was, um, you know, before we even opened, one of my employees sliced her finger open, like cut opening something. And then my poor manager almost cut his thumb off once. Oh, it was awful. So yeah, so we've, we've used it a couple of times. So gotcha. Well, that's what it's there for. And, uh, everyone, if you have employees are legally required to have it. Um, I wanted Mm -hmm. to bring this up though, because a lot of people, again, objections to hiring, they think of cost. I think my workers comp insurance is like 200 bucks for the year for Uh like four people because year. Yeah. Cause we're, it might be, is it more than that? I don't, it might be if it's under 500 though, I can tell you that. Um, Mm -hmm. but we're all like sitting on computers, like looking at spreadsheets, like in our own homes. Right. So very different. Right. And at at the end of your fiscal year year with them, they make you do an audit to say, okay, this is what you projected your payroll would be. What actually was it? And they'll actually either refund or charge you more. Mm, So it's not a fun thing to do. Yeah, but it, the they do ask you, you know, what's the number? How much payroll did you have? So it does play into that. Yeah. 
So you have the workers' comp, liability insurance, $3,000. Um, not sure that there's a whole lot to discuss there, but I think it's a fun number for people to know in case they're ever curious yeah. and opening well, up. Well, if you're fund. delivering anything, that number gets a lot higher real quick. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Did you ever have a policy before you were delivering? Like, do you know what the difference would be? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you have to have a liability um, policy because I mean, what if somebody slips in your business and, you know, breaks something? Yeah. So you got to have that. Or if you like, God forbid, make somebody sick or, you know, the wedding, the whole wedding sick never happened, but you know, you have to have the insurance for it. Um, I have had one, one instance where, you know, my driver, she was on her way back and her car slipped into neutral in the mountains and she, she didn't hurt anything except for her transmission. It was, she was freaked out, but had she taken out four cars, uh -huh. that would have been a big problem. So, yeah. And that all goes on to the employer. I can tell you from my, you already know that, but we read mm -hmm. cases about that mm -hmm. in, law, in law school. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious yep. if they're, they distinguish, I would imagine that for caterers for weddings, the likelihood of foodborne illness is a lot higher for those kind of hot foods than for mm -hmm. baked goods. I wonder yeah. if they take that into consideration with the liability insurance. I don't know that they do. They might, but I know that the health department does. So, I mean, yeah. the health department is just like, you guys would have to work really hard to make somebody sick. Yeah. Because sugar is actually a bacterial inhibitor. So, yeah. oh, I need to eat more sugar then. I got and the first molecular biology degree kicking in. Yeah, I got um, <laughs> sick the first time I ever had oysters, which was here in San Diego. And I'm like, I don't know if I can ever do that again. Um, mm. Not fun. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Um, all right. Computer software, $6,200. Um, yeah. Maybe a little higher than I would expect it, but I don't know what kind of software you're using other than just like the normal software I would expect other people to be using. Right. So I am such a um, automation nerd. Uh -huh. I love drip campaigns with my CRM. I love, you know, making everything that I use from the forms on my website, talk to my CRM and go to Square. And I love to make all of this stuff work so that I don't have to do it manually. So I have a CRM on steroid. It's Infusionsoft. Uh -huh. And so it's it's pretty pricey. It's about $330 a month. But I mean, it integrates with everything. And it's, it's probably a little more than I need to be using. Um, I've had it for about five years. And it's like, it's, it's got its fingers in everything from PayPal to, you know, Square to everything. My website, all the forms from my website are integrated into it. So um, it all works so well. It just, and setting up a new CRM is nothing I really want to do for a lower <laughs> price. Um, I don't blame and you. that's probably my, my barrier to leaving it. Um, it just, and it, it does so much, it even texts people. So yeah. The only other person I know who uses Infusionsoft is Amy Porterfield. Do you know her? Yes. I yeah. know of her. I've yeah. not met her. Yeah. So, so like multi- yeah, like multi, multi-million dollar business. So it's like most, a lot of the people that are using Infusionsoft have like giant email lists and like a lot of, they do a lot of, it's kind of like, kind of like Salesforce. It's like, if you're in corporate, mm -hmm. you know all about it. And if you're not in corporate, you're like, what is that? I don't know. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. No, my email list is about 9,000 people. I have to keep cutting it down because they charge you more at 10,000. Uh -huh. So <laughs> I weed it out every, you know, six months or so, because yeah. every time you go to my website and you click, give me a quote, 
it'll say, would you like to subscribe to my newsletter? And it'll be clicked automatically. So that's my, my lead generator because nice. I've tried other things and it doesn't work as well as give me a price quote. So nice. we could probably, we could probably do a whole nother podcast topic on the importance of email list building, but this is not a marketing podcast. So <laughs> right. I'll send you somewhere else to talk about that, no. but Okay. Very important. Okay. Um, a few more line items to look at. Um, marketing, you have total marketing of $23,000, but there's two line items okay. in particular. Um, one of them I think will be really quick website optimization. Was that just like an SEO consultant that you hired? Sort of a little bit. So I have a company that runs my Google AdWords and they do a lot of landing pages and a lot of tweaking to my website for me. So they do a lot of research as to like keywords or whatever. They run my Google AdWords for me because honestly that just like, mm -hmm. I, I don't, I don't want to know. I just want people to come to my website. So, um, so they handle that. And then I actually, uh, Christy Osborne, I don't know if you know who she is. Um, she so. took a look at my Google AdWords. She does a lot of um, wedding industry marketing talks and she's lovely. Um, so she took a look at them and she said, yeah, these people are doing a great job. So maybe you should hire them to do your social media too. So just recently I had them start posting for me on social media more regularly than what me or my manager can do. And uh, I mean, I found so many compliments on my social lately and just the, um, the tone that they give my company because they should be writing in my brand voice, but qu quite honestly, I was raised by five guys with swapping motors and doing drywall. I just, it's <laughs> not the luxury market that I really would love to kind of go towards. So uh -huh. they just, they kind of scooped it up and have done a wonderful job with it. So Beautiful. That's, who, that's what Beautiful. that is. Okay. And then is the, your line item for online advertising going to the same folks, or is that just like money going straight to Facebook or whomever? Mm -hmm. Yep. Money going to Google and money going to Facebook. So I break it apart from their feed. And okay. what's really great is they, they tie the social media back to my website. So not only like links, but everything that I sell on my website can be tagged on my social and they made that happen. Nice. So that's mm -hmm. close to 12,000, 2.65% of revenue. Do you look at mm -hmm. any of those percentages in terms of um, like the yeah. spend to revenue? Mm -hmm. So I can't remember where I got this number, but you should be spending seven to 8% of your income going back into marketing because if nobody knows about you, you can't sell anything. And so if I look at my numbers and I see that it's only at 5%, I will increase my spending on other things. So, and that's why I actually hired them to do my social media because I was only spending like 3% or something. And I was like, that's not enough. I need to get my business out there. And so I started research, researching other um, avenues to do that. And that's just when that became apparent to me that that's where my need was. So total marketing is at 5.2% right now. Mm -hmm. So do you look at that and say, we need to increase the ad spend or do you say, eh, we keep it because we're in the slow season. So maybe that doesn't make sense right now. Well, um, if you spend enough money with Google, they call you every six months or every <laughs> quarter and you talk about, you know, where you're spending your money and is it actually giving you a return? 
And so their company actually sends me analytics on whether, you know, the Facebook ads are working or the Google ads are working or whatever's working. And we started into um, Pinterest ads as well. And so um, as soon as I get those numbers, I'm going to decide whether I really want to go into maybe YouTube ads because our YouTube mm. channel is fairly well frequented. I had a, during COVID, I put a lot of how-to videos up there and then like my whole entrepreneurship story is up there because Johnson and Wales wanted it for a virtual job fair and, you know, just different things. So, it, and, and I use some of the videos on my website. So I think I will be, that will be my next spend is YouTube ads. Nice. YouTube ads sounds great. I have, I don't even know, Desiree, if you know about my other business, I don't know if we talked about it. Drag tax. Are you aware of that? I, I've been listening to your podcast. Um, just trying to prep for this. And I have heard you say something about drag tax. And I was like, that is fantastic because that is such (laughs) a, a wonderful market that's becoming, you know, more and more popular. But if it's anything like the wedding business, it's all people who love their trade and love what they do. Uh But the business side of it is like, I I don't want to deal. Yeah. It's even more needed. Yeah. Even more needed, if you can believe it. Um, I had lunch with a drag queen who was carrying a tote bag and said, "Oh, this tote bag is my bank account. All my cash is all my cash is in here. This is all my business income." No. <laughs> I was like, oh my god! No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I have a YouTube channel called Business of Drag. We have all of like sixty subscribers. But I've thought about um, I've thought about you doing YouTube ads for that business. For my current business, I don't know if there are a lot of my people on YouTube but there's like a lot of drag related YouTube channels. So I thought about, I'm sure I could target like those channels to have my ads run. I would target TikTok, honestly. Yeah, Because there are so many, like I had a drag king working for me for almost a year and they were amazing. I mean, just like the energy they brought and the fun and the videos they'd make. Um, they have a huge following on TikTok and their friends have huge followings on TikTok and they're, they're all in that circuit of nightclub, you know, uh, drag shows and everything. So. Well, I I do have, let's see how, what's my TikTok. I have two. My TikTok for this business is actually a little bit bigger. My drag tax TikTok has like 219 followers. (laughs) <laughs> oh, well, that's not bad. We're that's getting not started. Bad. All you need yeah. is like one video to really make it. And then people start following you. Yeah. That's what oh, we had. Yeah. I did a, I did one video on my main TikTok about, um, requirements for opening a bank account when you have an LLC and it got like 130,000 views. And mostly it was oh. just because like a handful of men wanted to tell me like why I was wrong in the video. And that's probably what got the algorithm going, but Hey, I'll take it. Um, right. okay. Let's dig into <laughs> no some, I know, right. That's always going to happen. Um, final mm-hmm. categories, the, I mean, another big one, which you hadn't brought up earlier, but percentage wise behind cost of goods. Well, I guess your, your wages was by far the biggest, right? That was like over mm-hmm, 50%. By far. Absolutely. Yeah. And yep. then cost of goods, 10% rent close to 10% as well. That one, probably not a whole lot to discuss there. Um, you have basically a commercial space, so you got to pay, got to pay right. rent every month. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, 10%. Okay. Let's look at, oh, sales tax. Um, 
Do you want to tell us a little bit about sales tax? Like that's probably not a real sexy topic, but we talk about sales tax here and people are always overwhelmed and confused by sales tax. Right. Well, the first thing I did before I even opened, before I got my sales tax license was I took a class on how to do sales tax at our department of revenue, which was great because now when I do sales tax, it takes me the better part of a day, like six hours, because when you deliver, it becomes exponentially complicated. Mm -hmm. Amazon did this to us because when you deliver an item, you have to sales, you have to charge the sales tax at the delivery point. And so that is how states started getting their revenue from Amazon because they were delivering from like two states to everywhere else in the US. So they cottoned on and they were they just made this this rule so now when i collect a sales tax i have to have there are 251 venues that i am a vendor on and so i have 251 different settings in my square account for each sales tax so that my customers know that is the sales tax at their venue and so once a month i have to do it monthly because my revenue is high enough that i have to do it monthly my sales tax for the state of Colorado was 146 pages long last Oof. month on the 20th. I also had to go to Denver's sales tax because they are a home rule city and I had to do Centennial sales tax because we are located in Centennial and they are a home rule city. And so it's, it, 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 I, words can't express how awful this situation <laughs> is. And I have tried to get other people to do my sales tax for me and I showed them how I do it and how I classify everything. And uh-huh. well, they ghosted me after that. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of stuck with it. Uh, I've gotten much better at it. And you know how I said, I love automation. I, I did an Excel spreadsheet where I can just copy paste my little, you know, here's where we went and this is how much money we charge to do it there. Um, paste it in and then it automates the rest of the spreadsheet for me took me forever to do that but i did it and now it's not as bad when you say you try to hire someone do you mean like an accountant or someone to come and join your team without an accounting background Mm -hmm. like a contractor or one of your employees so right i have an accountant who is really amazing and she does not do sales tax because it is such a piece of poop and she recommended this other guy and so this other guy and I did a Zoom and I tried to show him, you know, how to do this. And he he sat there nodding and being very polite and nice. And then he ghosted me <laughs> when, it, mm. when it came time to like set it up for the next month. So yeah, it was not nothing he wanted to do either, obviously. Yeah. And not the unsolicited advice. I don't know if you want to hear it, but mm-hmm. if you wanted to hire someone for that, I would almost go the route of like going on Indeed and hiring another employee um, and just saying that it's basically like, couple days a month. I mean, I don't know if it'd be worth it. If you had other kind of finance tasks for them to do, it would be good. But there are a lot of people who are looking, you know, as like an entry point into bookkeeping and accounting, because I just went through this process to hire my bookkeepers and got over 300 applications. Uh, Really? Wow. Yeah. So that might not be bad because you might find someone, you know, a full-fledged accountant's going to have a higher hourly rate, but you might be able to find someone who'd be perfectly qualified to do that task at like $20 an hour, $30 an hour, whatever you're comfortable with. Yeah. I don't doubt it. And quite honestly, probably one of my employees could do it, you know, if they, if I trained them to do it, but it is a little intimidating if they break the formulas in the Excel spreadsheet, that might be a problem. Lock them. (laughs) Right. 
<laughs> I was thinking in a backup copy too. Yeah, so. I was going to say A, lock them. B, make sure you have a backup copy, right? All mm. right. Um, well, it's been probably about an hour. So let's start to get wrapped up here. Oh, look, who just, uh, Amber Anderson just sent me a Facebook message. We're recording a podcast this week too. Uh, okay. So you ready to get to net operating income? Ah, so this one is really <laughs> bad for me this year. Like last year I had a great net. It was uh -huh. awesome because all the weddings were backlogged and we had so much business. We couldn't even handle it this year because like, um, everybody's wages went up, you know, you had to pay your people more to keep them on. And so since we book our weddings a year out, sometimes more, I book my rate a year out. And then I give my employees $2 an hour raise, and then another $2 an hour raise. And then I have to hire the new people at a higher rate and all of this transpires. And I can't, I can't charge the client anymore when uh -huh. they're, when their wedding actually happens, I can't do that. That's not, it's not ethical. And so in that year, I've had a, probably an increase of 8% because my labor pretty typically over the course of 15 years was 52%. Now it's up yeah. to 60. So 60% of the amount of money that comes in my door goes back to the employees. Now myself included, I did start paying myself and I was like, you know what? I am worth this. And if I can't pay myself, what am I doing here? So I decided to make sure that I was taken care of as well in that number. And so, um, of course I didn't get $2 an hour raise. I should be thinking that. Anyway, um, so my net is negative this year. Um, but you know, I had money squirreled away from a really good year last year. I'm not too worried about it. I keep raising my prices. I just did it again two weeks ago, and I will probably do it again December uh, 31st because it's just what you do keep yeah. up with inflation. So, yeah, negative so six thousand dollars hurts. Yeah, negative six thousand yeah. dollars in operating income. So I was going to ask if you have negative. Obviously, you're still paying for stuff. So you had business savings before. You um, probably still have business savings. That's right. This is why right. we have business savings, yes. right? Um, so that we can yes. go a little if bit. If you don't have business savings, you need it. Yeah, need oh. it for emergencies. Oh for I mean, obviously, COVID is kind of like the outlier example, but like God knows, it was really good for all the people who had savings then. Um, you've already increased your expenses to offset this, or increased your income. Woof, income. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. What What in years past was your net operating income? Or what would you yeah. ideally like so it to be? So last year was, right. Ideally, I feel real comfortable at 80,000, which is what it was last year. Uh, 2020 was a, a crapshoot. I had, I think, $500 left when the year closed in 2020, uh -huh. which was, you know, I was patting myself on the back for that one. Uh, the year before, it was only like 30. So not not huge amounts, but, you know, I, I had paid myself. And so I felt like, you know, having $30,000 for a rainy day was a good thing. So. so do you, when you have a net, when you have a net positive, do you pay yourself profit distributions? Not usually. I usually just keep it. Cause I, I do not feel like for a business, my size, that $30,000 in the bank is enough. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like you need a cushion for a rainy day. I feel like a global pandemic can slap us in the face at any moment. I feel like labor rates can go up again. 
Yeah. I just, I feel like had I not had that cushion, I'd be toast right now. So what's your, you just have to plan for it. What's your monthly average monthly overhead right now? Uh, we could calculate that real quick. 400 divided by 11. Yeah. 400 divided by 11. So it's 36,000. Mm -hmm. So ideally, like yeah. how many months of money do you like to have saved in the bank? Well, at least one. I mean, 30,000 is probably the most I've ever had. Just yeah. <laughs> squirreled away. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. A lot harder, obviously, yeah. when your expenses are a lot higher, because I'll usually tell people three months, but we're talking about when monthly mm -hmm. overhead is $2,000. So I'm like, have $6,000. Right. Saved. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, I feel like 30,000 is just not a huge number for a business my size. Yeah. Yeah. That's when we usually, it's like, if you have at least a month, it's typically fine. Global pandemics aside and things like that. Mm -hmm. It's usually mm -hmm. fine just to get you through like a downturn in business, because you can usually see the warning signs a few months in advance. That's the goal. Right. So if you're like, Oh, I know right. that it's may right now. I know that June, July, like by August, I'm going to be struggling. So I have a little bit of savings, mm -hmm. but also I need to cut expenses or let go of some employees, do those kind of things like by August. So usually like a month mm -hmm. of savings is enough if we're like doing all of that analysis. Right. Absolutely. And honestly, I've only had to lay off one employee and she, it was during the pandemic and she was eight months pregnant. And she was like, please, please lay me off. So we did that. But, um, you know, because I front load my, um, interviewees telling them when the slow season is, and we just kind of cut hours across the board and they get the second job or whatever. I've been very fortunate without having to lay people off. I mean, that just hurts your heart a lot. Yeah. So. Yeah. I feel that. I feel that. So what are you looking forward to in 2023 with the business? Oh, I'm looking forward to being able to do some of the cooler cakes. So I, I love all of my couples, but it's, it's like, if it is just another naked cake or one with just a little bit of texture, that's not fun for me. And yeah. it's like, we do those phenomenally. Yeah. They are gorgeous. Don't get me wrong. Those are, those are beautiful and fantastic, but I want it hanging and spinning and carved <laughs> and I want it to look like something. I want it to be like a Porsche or, you know, a standing up pizza chef. I, I, I like the cool stuff. Okay. Okay. So I didn't ask you this earlier, but you are still very much doing the baking and the decorating yourself. It sounds like no, mm -mm. no. So is it just the design, no. the, the design portion of these real, really design. cool cakes you look forward to? I, I meet with, mm -hmm. so I meet with a lot of the couples and then I work closely with my management team to figure out how we're going to pull this stuff off. And then like, if there's a sponsorship, I'm going to, um, Emerge event collective tonight and I'm hanging a cake from an arch with a spiral around it like a metal spiral and I'm gonna make it spin and so I do those personally and I like to build a lot of the armatures personally I like power tools I don't know it's just something fun for me um, but most of the time I figured also that business consultant made me realize that if I'm not working on my business and bringing the business to my business yeah. My, I'm not doing my business any favors. You know, yeah. if I'm not, if I'm not taking care of all of the boring stuff, I'm not doing my employees any favors. 
I'm not, I'm not helping anybody unless I do the owner's job. Yes. And that's one thing that a lot of my friends, like I'll meet new cake people. I met one in the airport on the way to winning NBA and she's a cake artist and she wants to start a brick and mortar store and she wanted to pick my brain. And I'm just like, I don't know what to say because I don't get to do what I love anymore, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's like, I, I really don't want to discourage her from her dreams, but people don't understand that you have to work on your business, not in it. And as soon as I let go of being part of every single cake that came out of my door, my business flourished. It just took off because my employees were no longer waiting for me to give the go ahead or the instructions or just empower your employees to do what they need to do and let them do it and get the heck out of the way because yeah. they're amazing at what they do, especially if you train them well. Yeah. We, we can't be the bottleneck in our own business. That's for sure. And a tough, yeah. tough lesson yeah. learned. That is um, true. Okay. Yeah. Well, to start to wrap up here, if people want to go see that awesome cake that you're doing tonight on your Instagram, yeah. how do they yeah. do that? Yes. So the Makery Cake Co. on Instagram, and then I'll probably do a live on Facebook as well. Uh, I started my Facebook way too long ago. So it's just the Makery Co. The word cake is not in it. Bad marketing on my part. I didn't know better. Um, yeah. And I'll probably put something on TikTok eventually. I'll get okay, there. cool. Well, Emily, will get all those links in the show notes. So that will be good. Um, Desiree, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your PL. We appreciate yeah, it. No problem. No problem. Awesome. Um, well, thanks for having me. Thank you for coming. And thank you to everyone else for tuning in. Um, as always, you know that I'll be back in your podcast app next Thursday. Um, as you all know, we're coming up on the new year. We just closed the doors to Profit RX, my signature program. But if you are curious about setting up your LLC or your S Corp in the new year to make some of these uh, money moves that Desiree has made, let us know. We'll be happy to help mm-hmm. you. And as always, don't forget to share the podcast, leave a review, do all of the things, and have a great day. Hey there, before you go, I wanted to give a quick thanks. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. If you loved it, I would love for you to take a screenshot of the episode or snap a quick selfie while you are listening. Share it on social and give me a tag. It'll help other kick-ass entrepreneurs like yourself find the show. That's it for today. I'll be back soon with a new episode. Meanwhile, let's roll up our sleeves and unfuck that biz.